obviously airlines are um, all, all having uh, specific targets that they want to achieve. There is huge pressure, obviously, from the world, from the population, people flying. And that translates into pressure into airlines, which means as well pressure to us, right? Because we are as well participating to their effort to net zero. So it's our own agenda is aligned with the agendas of our customers, but as well of airports. We are at the heart of this ecosystem. So that's, that's where it's coming from. The second part is, I think that the world is moving into only one direction. I think it took a long time, uh, obviously, to get to where we are today, and there is still a lot of progress to make, but I think that it's absolutely acknowledged that we cannot continue to run companies the same way as we used to uh, over the last 10 to 20 years. Welcome to Sustainability in the Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to sustainable aviation. I'm your host, Shashank Nigam, the CEO of Simply Flying. Every Thursday, I have important conversations with top aviation executives, technology entrepreneurs, and policymakers helping aviation take climate action. Conversations that help separate the signal from the noise. Whether you are a frequent flyer or an airline executive, if you care about sustainability or simply love traveling, welcome aboard. My guest today is Nadia Kadori, who was till recently the Chief Strategy and Sustainability Officer at Swissport, one of the largest ground handlers in the world. You may have seen some of their pushback trucks at airports, some of their trucks and vehicles helping the airport operations. In fact, Swissport also operates a network of lounges, and Nadia's vision is to help make all of these operations sustainable. Let's hear it from Nadia. Nadia, it is such a pleasure to be speaking with you. Finally, you are our first non-airline, non-airport, non-technology guest on the podcast. So I'm pretty excited about learning uh, everything about ground handling and beyond. A part of uh, airport operations, I think we all see when we are waiting for the plane to take off, but we don't really know much about. So I'm curious, firstly, what is your role, Nadia, at Swissport and, and what, how did you get here? So first of all, thanks a lot for having me. It's, it's really a honor to be the first grand handler to speak in your podcast. <laughs> I hope I will be up to the challenge. <laughs> so, um, so basically my role in, in Swissport is, um, so I'm, I'm heading the sustainability agenda, uh, but as well the strategy agenda and the fleet agenda, which makes it, um, a very diverse portfolio, but a very connected portfolio from building up strategy, inserting the sustainability agenda at the heart of the strategy, but as well being in charge of the execution when it comes to uh, decarbonization. So you have basically, uh, let's say, the three steps um, that is quite unusual, uh, I would say, uh, to see in, in companies where usually you have a disconnection from strategy and execution. But here we wanted to empower this and to make sure that we are accelerating on the agenda. That is 
very, very encouraging to know because I know most strategies, I think it's up to 90% of strategy fails in execution. Um, I just want to ask you, you mentioned fleet. When I speak with airline CEOs, fleet means airplanes. For Swissport, what is fleet? So for for Swissport, um, it's actually more than 55,000 pieces of equipment around the globe. Um, that's basically from cars, uh, trucks, um, uh, to actually non-motorized equipment. Um, and this is the equipment that we use actually to operate uh, uh, all the flights. So this is basically what you were mentioning in the beginning, what is happening before we take off. This is interesting. Now, I've, I recently had the CEO of Sky Team on the podcast, and he talked about uh, in the Sky Team Sustainable Flight Challenge, a lot of airlines are using electric tows and electric pushback and, and green fuel vehicles on the ground. Is that what you're talking about? And if that's the case, isn't your job really easy because electric vehicles are here? Or at least it's easier than, uh, you know, greening a fleet of airplanes. Yeah, it is. Um, you're right. If you compare it to, obviously, to the challenge of airlines, um, uh, definitely the technology is ready, or at least for most of the equipment, um, and accessible. We have, though, uh, obviously the challenge of the infrastructure. So being able to change from uh, fossil energy to electric energy, for instance, requires some infrastructure changes in the airports. And that's basically the, the, the main challenge for handlers today is the collaboration, is to build up a proper collaboration model um, with the airports, uh, but as well with um, the legislator, depending on, on the country we are in, uh, to really collaborate and push the agenda together. Otherwise, having electric vehicles where we cannot charge them is not very useful, obviously. That was going to be my next question. You know, I have an electric car and my car plans for the charge and tells me where to go to charge. If you have a pushback tow or a catering truck at an airport that is fully electric, where do you charge it? And is does that infrastructure currently exist? So not everywhere. So, you know, we are present um, in, uh, in uh, uh, almost 50 countries in the world. Uh, so there are huge differences depending on the markets we are present in. And even within the markets, there are differences within the airport. So we have infrastructure ready in some of them. If I pick up the example of Europe, um, in Europe, which is a mature market, uh, there is more availability, let's say, uh, in some areas in US as well. Uh, but that's obviously a more challenging uh, place to be when we are in LATAM uh, uh, countries or in uh, Middle East and Africa. However, um, what we see is that um, there is, um, obviously, we can work as well as facilitators. So since we have our own agenda, uh, in, in, in our own decarbonization agenda, we initiate as well those conversations with the airports and we try to collaborate as much as we can because there is no other way anyway um, to really uh, push for infrastructure changes and see as well into the whole value chain um, if there are intermediate solutions. For instance, um, there are some suppliers that propose as well uh, some, um, you know, movable solutions. You know, we can as well invest in, in those 
uh, in those types of uh, solutions. However, it requires some space. It requires as well to really think through about um, the journey of a vehicle, you know, if you are present in different terminals, without going into details, that's not such a straightforward um, solution. There is not one size fits all. It's really very incremental. It's really airport by airport that we are approaching um, uh, the solutions. The way you're describing it, I am visualizing this more as a Roomba, you know, that robot vacuum cleaner that goes from place to place, charges, and then comes back and cleans the house and then charges. It has to have access to a charging point as opposed to a Tesla, which can drive from A to B and then use multiple charging points. You have stated 55% of your vehicles will be electric. Um, And by when is this meant to be and why 55%? So... What we did is um, we aim to join the SBTI uh, targets because that's uh, obviously the most relevant and the more precise, uh, I would say, uh, um, institution uh, to join and, uh, and, uh, and recognized in, in our industry. Um, and to get to join SBTI, we translated the emission reduction into pieces of equipment because when we look at our scope emissions, so scope one and scope two, um, the biggest lever is our equipment. Uh, obviously, there are other solutions. We, are, we have cargo operations. We have as well lounges. We are present as well. We have offices. So we will do much more than just electrifying. But the core decarbonization effort is going to be um, uh, is going to be achieved through uh, the change in in uh, in, uh, in equipment. And by when is this meant to happen? Fifty five percent. So fifty five. So our target is to reduce by twenty thirty two by fifty. So fifty five percent by twenty thirty two. So um, I'm already anticipating your next question. Um, so we defined this as a target because my observation uh, overall. Um, uh, starting uh, when we started our ESG journey last year, <clears throat> is that there is a lot of targets that are disclosed by a lot of companies um, in being net zero by 2030, for instance. This is what is the most common and what a lot of companies are pushing. But my my view is, is really in twofold. One is we need to show results already now before pushing to net zero. So the idea is to have achievable targets and to ensure that the whole IR, you can hear the plane, right? And <laughs> and to ensure that the whole supply chain is ready. So what I was mentioning before, airport readiness, we are highly dependent on this, on the infrastructure changes, <clears throat> and that the whole industry is moving towards the same direction. Um, so that's why 55% seemed to be an achievable target and it's compliant with SBTI. It doesn't mean that along the way we are not going to strengthen our position, but I want first to get this um, target, achievable target. I want first to deliver on this target. Okay. That's the, that's the idea. And what is the starting point? How many of, what percentage of your vehicles are currently fully electric? 
So we have uh, 16%, 16.4% of our uh, equipment already electric. Uh, we started uh, already last year, so by the end of last year, um, uh, and we were already more or less at this uh, at this percentage. Um, and I believe that by the end of the year, uh, we would be around already 20%. So there is um, obviously a lot of knowledge ramp up that needs to happen in the company. As I, as I said before, a lot of conversations that needed to happen as well with the airport and alignment and a lot of discussions as well with um, suppliers um, and readiness to ensure that we can achieve on the targets this year already. This is very encouraging. So you're more than doubling or I would say tripling uh, your electric fleet in the next few years. That That is significant if you just look at the scale. I, know, I want to step back a little and really ask you why you're doing this. Is this a motivation by Swiss Sport, just the company and that we want to be carbon neutral and we want to be kind to the planet? Is there pressure from regulators based on the countries you're in, let's say in France or in Germany or in Switzerland, uh, some of the European countries? Or are your airline customers saying, hey, we want greener operations, greener ground operations? What are the motivating factors? Why are you doing this? So I think it's the whole ecosystem. So to answer more, um, let's say, in general. So obviously airlines are um, all all having uh, specific targets that they want to achieve. There is huge pressure, obviously, from the world, from the population, people flying. And that translates into pressure into airlines, which means as well pressure to us. Right, because we are as well participating to their effort to net zero. So it's our own agenda is aligned with the agendas of our customers, but as well of airports. We are at the heart of this ecosystem. So that's that's where it's coming from. The second part is I think that the world is moving into only one direction. I think it took a long time, uh, obviously to get to where we are today, and there is still a lot of progress to make, but I think that it's absolutely acknowledged that we cannot continue to run companies the same way as we used to uh, over the last 10 to 20 years. Now it's really about, and I think this is what I, I really like in, in ESG and what where my passion is coming from, it's really about how do you reinvent your business model you know, in the long run. Um, and you cannot invest, invent today your business model uh, by not acknowledging that, acknowledging that fossil energy is not the future in, for, the, the, for the planet. So it's really, um, it's really a combination. You mentioned there's pressure from customers, but I think this differs based on which part of the world you're in. In Scandinavia or Western Europe, yes, I see there's pressure from customers. Uh, in North America, I think there's more investor pressure about the future of a green aviation industry rather than customer pressure. And if you go to parts of Asia, I know my parents-in-law in India, when they fly to meet us in Canada, they still sort by price. I don't think there's anyone sorting by carbon footprint or seeing how green their operations are, which is the cheapest flight and the fastest, fastest way to get there. So do you see a dichotomy in terms of where these pressures are, you are a global firm. You're not just in Europe. Who is, how is this, how are you dealing with that? So I think you're, you're right. 
um, that there is definitely uh, different dynamics and different level of maturity when it comes to uh, uh, the decarbonization, but I would say even the overall importance of building sustainable businesses. Um, but I just believe that um, those countries or those regions, such as Latin American region for us, um, probably African countries as well, um, and we are not very present in Asia, but definitely there is, um, uh, in countries where we are present, there is less pressure. But I think that in the next four, five years, this will come. So it's just some, some markets are leading the way. So to answer to, to your point, UK, I think, is definitely uh, pushing. Uh, we see it in many airports for greener operations. I think in some part as well, I see in some parts in US, um, obviously in, in California region, uh, more mature than uh, probably other uh, uh, other cities. But I think it's definitely coming. Um, in Europe, generally speaking, and this is, we have a big part of our business in Europe. I think that every country is really raising the bar uh, from a legislation perspective. Uh, and now airports are really uh, following. So, yes, Europe, US are the key markets where we will start to invest in. But I always watch very, very carefully as well the other wave of countries because I see that it's an opportunity as well to have those conversations already up front. Because as a company, what is really important and for sustainability is that you need to see what is happening over the next five to 10 years. That's the whole difference in leading a sustainability agenda and operations. You need to be proactive and you need to engage before. Otherwise, you will make the wrong investments into stranded assets and you will end up in five years um, starting to have those conversations and, and losing a lot of money. I think you're, you're absolutely right. We have to be cognizant of the different stakeholders in different parts of the world. Are you able to share some of the key successes you've had in, you know, a region or a couple of regions? What has really worked as you go down this journey? I would say, um, so we started um, as a, as a, one of the, the key successes, I would say, is our collaboration model with um, Fimincino Airport in Italy. So we started, uh, we took over ETA operations uh, last year, actually almost a year ago in July last year. And we started to have uh, conversations between the airport and the airline about the electrification. So how important it was. But it was possible as well because Fimincino Airport is a very mature airport that is already very engaged into the decarbonization journey. So that was at the heart of their strategy. So that works very well, and we are uh, uh, obviously now handling the hub uh, for, for ETA and Fimincino, and we are engaging now into the whole process of uh, uh, electrification and as well having ideas about other items into the sustainability agenda. So that works very well. I think the other piece is, <clears throat> so we have as well those conversations, and we are uh, as well electrifying um, uh, uh, very much in UK, um, good success as well in Amsterdam, uh, where we are running as well um, our equipment uh, with biofuel, 
So that's the first operations that is run for us in with with biofuel. Um, so we are really kind of moving. But as I said in the beginning, it's very much airport by airport and in mature markets. The other piece, I think, that is not to underestimate, and that's actually a challenge that we face, is um, the lack of uh, a platform in the ecosystem. So handlers have a platform. So now we, we have an association that represents us, ASA, that we are actually strengthening uh, this year. Airports have an association, ACI. Airlines have IATA. But those associations today, they are not linked to really set up the future for sustainability. That's the next item for the agenda, is really aligning our common interest as, a, as an ecosystem to really ensure that we are creating the right collaboration model at a higher level. So less incremental, but really the notion of partnership rather than the notion of you know, individual segments into, into the ecosystem. And I think that's really where we need to put our, um, our focus uh, as an industry. Sure, I think that, that does make sense. Let's talk a little about technology here. We've spoken about electrification of vehicles. Uh, what about hydrogen? Because hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cells, Toyota is testing it. I know London buses run on hydrogen uh, in some places. Is that something that you're considering as well? Yes, definitely. We are looking, um, we are looking at a, a piece by piece of equipment. You know, this is basically the granular work that needs to be done is equipment type by equipment type to really define what is the most up-to-date available technology and the technology that will last, you know, over the next 10 to 15 years. So when you invest into a piece of equipment, um, we need to make sure that we are not, as, a, as, as we said before, that we are not actually buying uh, stranded assets. So that's a bit the cautious part when it comes to hydrogen. But when this is the only available solution, we will definitely as well consider it in our plan. And still sticking to hydrogen, there are airlines, which are customers of yours, let's say EasyJet, which have plans to introduce hydrogen aircraft in the future, not this decade, but definitely in 20 years from now, perhaps that might be a key part of their operations. How are you looking to support operations like that? Are you in talks with EasyJet and let's say Bristol Airport, which is looking at a hydrogen hub? Yeah, exactly. Actually, you picked up the right example with Bristol Airport. <laughs> so yes, uh, so we are uh, definitely exchanging. Uh, that comes back to the collaboration model to really ensure, you know, we are we are, um, I, 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 grand handlers are absolutely essential to run smooth operations in airport, but we are as well, um, we are at the heart really of the, of the business model. So our role is obviously to run our decarbonization journey, but even more important is to align with the decarbonization journey of our stakeholders. So in the example of Bristol, that's definitely on top of the agenda. One of the interesting things we learned from airports, I had the president uh, or the director general of the ACI world here, Luis Felipe, and he was talking about how to have a hydrogen infrastructure at an airport, you need to really expand the airport. I think uh, to power Heathrow, you'll need a hydrogen terminal the size of Terminal 5 to just house all that hydrogen. 
how will you deal with something like that? Because you have a lot of ground vehicles. You need a lot of potentially hydrogen uh, to carry around. Is that something you've thought about? Uh, I would say that we've been really focusing on the electric solution because that's the most available solution to date for our type of equipment. But when it comes to hydrogen, if there is a strong push from the airport, let's let's uh, let's say uh, Bristol, for instance, we would look at isolated solutions, you know, incrementally. There is no such a, a global roadmap on this because the the, the size of the business and the specificity, the specificity sits really at airport by airport. Right. Okay. Fair enough. And I think we will see how this pans out. You, of course, have a lot of cargo and logistics clients as well. How is sustainability being brought into this side of the business? So um, for our cargo operations, so we have more than 120 warehouses uh, across the globe. Um we are looking at the equipment, you know, obviously we have as well equipment in, in our cargo operations. So the same way as for our ground operations, that's part of our 55% um, EGSC target. Um, but we are looking as well at uh, solar panels. So we've been uh, experiencing and we are pushing this uh, specifically in markets like Germany, um, we have, uh, we are going uh, as well uh, to be uh, uh, certified at 100%, um, 100% uh, uh, green for our Liege cargo operations. So for cargo, the approach is a, a mixed approach uh, between uh, solar uh, panels equipment and uh, uh, electrification, the same way as uh, scrum handling. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I think this complements quite well what we see as passengers on the ground. It, it just flows together. Uh, you also mentioned earlier you operate lounges. I believe that's under the Aspire brand. And when I was researching for this episode, I realized that you have a commitment to completely eliminate single-use plastic in your lounges, I think, by 2025. How's that coming along? So we have around 70 lounges, you know, like globally, just to kind of uh, uh, size the matter. <laughs> as I would say. And uh, in reality, we are already at this moment in time and for the last three to four months building sustainable lounges. So we are already for all the new incremental lounges applying the no plastic use in our new lounges. So the way it's going, I think that um, it's in this specifically in this business, it doesn't imply significant changes in the way that our people work. Because what is really challenging is, for instance, to eliminate plastic in our cargo operations, which is as well one of our ambition. But it requires a complete change in the procedures, in the, in, in the training of our people, and that would require more time. When it comes to lounges, it's simply not having, uh, you know, plastic glasses, plastic bottles. And that's something that the public is used to. So our customers are used to that. Um, I think that a lot of businesses are moving towards this direction. And for our staff, um, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's definitely a change that they integrate um, quite fast. You mentioned you're launching sustainable lounges. What exactly is a sustainable lounge beyond not having single-use plastic? So that could be, uh, for instance, uh, having more uh, recycling, you know, like recycling, for instance, uh, all 
how do you say all, all, the, all the trash right <laughs> that's that's really about like small yeah. yeah you know small uh and incremental changes to how we operate lounges uh because we obviously lease the space to the airport so we have as well some limitations in what we can do but in the way we operate we can include um we can include as well a more sustainable way to work uh on top of no single plastic use Right. Okay, that's very interesting. And how is it that you communicate these measures to the customers? If I'm flying um, and I'm sitting in an Aspire lounge before my flight, will I know what you're doing and how will I know about it? No, so not yet, because we are um, uh, not yet, I would say, um, uh, really um, there yet. So, you know, we started, uh, as I said, I mean, we, we, our target is to complete this by 2025. So we still have, I would say, more than a year uh, to complete this. And we don't want to communicate already proactively on the one or two lounges where it's actually completed. And we want to wait more when we have more traction in, in our network to actually uh, communicate about what we do. That's a bit the spirit uh, of our sustainability journey. Because one of the things that I'm very sensitive to is um, we don't want to be called greenwashers. You know, we don't want to be called uh, over communicating uh, and not really doing the right thing. For me, it's important that we do the right thing, mm -hmm. that we prove that we are doing the right thing, and then we communicate. This is really the three steps. It's really important to me. Right. So you. I I completely agree with you that you must lead with action. But isn't this green hushing then? The opposite end of greenwashing where you're not talking about the measures you're taking and nobody knows about it other than you and I and the audience of this podcast. <laughs> Don't worry, people will know about it when it will be the right time. Um, but you know, in the end, this is like you will always be accused of something, right? You need to choose your punishment <laughs> <laughs> that you are more comfortable with. And I'm more comfortable with doing what is right and not communicating enough than the other way around. Okay, fair enough. You know, you, you, you take your, everyone chooses their own poison. The, I hope the world is kinder uh, in hindsight. Uh, now, sustainability is not just about environmental issues. You have, for example, signed up to the, UN Global Compact, which is to combat human rights violations. Tell us a little bit more about that as well, please, Nadia. For us, being a, a signatory of the UN Global Compact is um, really setting the minimum, I would say, the red rules under which we operate. You know, we are a people business, uh, more than 55,000 people. So that's really the heart of our business. And Every day we operate already under those rules. What I find really good with UN Global Compact is that it's a set of standards, you know, that, that has this um, uh, ability to align across the industry, a minimum set of standards that I call really the red rules. Um, but as a company, what we want is to go obviously beyond because the questions that the world now is raising when it comes to people, so to the people agenda, they are very complex on top of obviously the 10 uh, uh, minimum rules uh, set by the UN Global Compact. Right. It's very interesting to see you take a holistic approach. It's not just about environment. 
I'm, I'm curious towards the end of this interview, it's very interesting, the kind of work that you're doing. It's global in nature. There's sustainability focus and beyond. How did you end up being in this role? What's your background? Because obviously, 10 years ago, Swissport did not have a chief sustainability officer. No. Uh, so my background is finance, actually. So I really, uh, I worked in uh, various uh, finance roles um, and, uh, and uh, ended as a CFO, actually, in, in Swissport. And I was looking for a new challenge that would uh, imply um, a more business side, um, you know, like, I'm, I'm quite passionate about the industry. So that's, that's, that's probably the starting point. And the ability to really um, be part and actually shape together with my colleagues, the future of this company, because this is what it is about. Um, it's not an agenda that is on the surface. It's really reviewing how we are going to work over the next 10 years and below and beyond, you know, so after my time, after my colleagues time. And this is for me, this is where my passion is coming from. So, yes, sustainability was not working, but I think you get to sustainability with passion. So I think you need to have this passion for doing the right thing because this is what it is about. It's doing the right thing for the planet, doing the right thing for the people doing the right thing as well for the company and matching all those needs together with various stakeholders where there is quite some some uh, complexity, uh, I would say. And, uh, and coming from finance actually helped me a lot because there are a lot of financial questions, uh, uh, obviously, about, around uh, the ESG topic. Right. The interesting thing is you have a finance background. You were the CFO, perhaps the, the people who, you know, you, well, the one person who was most feared in the company, perhaps when it came to budgets and approvals. Oh, yeah, you give us my colleagues, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my question is, sustainability is new to you. It is something that requires specific knowledge and uh, a vision. Who do you go to when you want to learn about what's the latest and greatest in sustainability? For example, how did you find out about SBTI or how did you take that decision? Are there some mentors and coaches within or outside the company that you speak with? So, um, so that's actually a very good question. So I think the sustainability matter um, is just generally new. Right. I mean, some people have much more experience, um, obviously, uh, uh, and more experience than I have. Uh, but I think, generally speaking, there is a lot of emerging things that are coming. You see it into the changes in the legislation coming every week, I would say, if I look at our uh, our scope uh, and, uh, and uh, our presence. Uh, there is there are a lot of debates. There are a lot of questions. So it's really about, I think, the way I kind of stepped up into the role, it's really about hearing, listening to other people that are more advanced. So I look up at companies with an agenda that is more advanced than ours. Um, actually, I have as well the opportunity to talk to uh, companies that are in the portfolio of our uh, private equity uh, shareholders, um, you know, like other companies, and I get inspired as well about their uh, their journey. 
I talk as well uh, to a lot of uh, suppliers because there is a, a huge offer as well out there uh, of experts. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you see exactly what I mean. <laughs> so I get a lot of uh, uh, I get a lot of input. Uh, but simply, you know, when you are passionate by a topic, you get to read as well yourself a lot of things. You know, um, for instance, I listen to your podcast. I mean, I heard. Thank uh, you. Definitely. I mean, um, I heard a lot of good things. I picked up on a lot of good things as well from uh, your podcast, various podcasts. Um, and this is how you, you build education. I think what you need is really people that are passionate about really doing the right thing. And generally speaking, if you are, you know, if, if you are uh, ready to study, let's say, and if you are ready to listen, and if you have passion, I think that you get into the journey very quickly. At, at least that was my advice. I, I think it, it, what you highlight is just being humble. You know, you were already the CFO, yet you were willing to learn from scratch a completely new field and and start from zero, as my friend Sean Kanungo likes to say, you want to start from zero. And that's what makes true leaders stand apart. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's it's actually a great opportunity in life, you know, to to just kind of step in into into a topic and and just get to see what is what is out there. And it's a perpetual learning. You know, while I speak to you, I'm still learning and I love the fact that I will be still learning probably over the next five years and over the rest of my life. We, we, are, we are all learning and that's when we grow, right? So you, you grow or you die, you learn or you die. So I'm, I'm glad that you're learning this way and I appreciate you opening up and sharing as well. The final question is, what gives you the most hope about a net zero future of the industry? I think what gives me the most hope um, about the net zero, and I would say as well, I will enlarge it into like building really a sustainable future, but as well for people, because I think it's, it's we talk a lot and, and rightfully so about the decarbonization journey, but I think that the people agenda is, is really important as well. Uh, what gives me hope is um, people in general, you know, like when I see the excitement you know, around the sustainability agenda in the company, you know, from my colleagues, uh, from the stations, from countries, you know, like from the population, actually, that we have in, in Swissport, the workers. When I see as well the, the willingness of uh, airports, the ecosystem of pushing into the same direction, seeing as well that there are um, now the right a framework, I would say, for investors, but as well uh, from legislators to push into this direction. I have to say that I see, I see that all the planets are aligned for us to actually push and not give up. So, because in the end, there is no other way. I mean, now I think that the, the world has pushed to an extreme where everybody realizes that we just cannot go back. Um, looking at what happened during COVID, you know, there is a before and after COVID when it comes to how we work as, a, as a, uh, an industry. I mean, I talk about the industry, but I think it's much larger than that. There is a before after the, the climate changes and all the statistics that are coming, all the the great, uh, 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 the great research, you know, about global warming. I think that even in Zurich, you see global warming coming in. 
you know. I mean, I've been in, in Zurich for 10 years and you see that, yeah, summers are very different, winters are very different. And even someone that is not studying this and completely obsessed by it, notice it. So I just see that it's a perfect moment that where all the planets are aligned, you know, being shareholders, being investors, being as well population where everybody accepts that things need to change. This is what gives me energy. I would fully agree. I remember being at the Farnborough Air Show last year and seeing the entire industry coming together, competitors or not, a bit like how aviation has focused on safety in the past, that we will all work on this together. We will not compete on this. I foresee uh, us as an industry working together, and it's really heartening to see the efforts Swissport is making the work you're doing, Nadia, not just learning a completely new field, but also leading from the front. Uh, the final uh, part of this interview is what I call the rapid fire round, in which we get to know you a bit more personally. And I'll ask you a simple question and you can, you have to reply to me, you know, with a very nice, easy answer. So I'll start simple. What's what's your favorite airline? I cannot answer to that. It's like uh, choosing, uh, it's like choosing uh, who is my favorite child. You know, you don't, yeah, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that turned out to be a hard one then, as opposed to an easy <laughs> easy one. Okay, what's your favorite movie? Actually, I'm watching more series. I would say at the moment it's uh, Succession. I'm completely addicted to Succession. I love it. That's Is that the Kate Winslet one? Uh, no, it's not Kate Winslet. No. Okay. That, I've, I'm completely tuned out of series. So as you can, as you can <laughs> probably tell, what's your favorite book? Your books, of course. I mean, I just heard that you are releasing a new book, so I'm looking forward to, to the next one. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear and, and totally humbled. <laughs> You're one of the few guests who have, who have said that. Um, what is uh, the best advice you have received? I would say uh, to stay humble and to keep, the, to keep your eyes open and ears open. Um, with the same fresh attitude, you know, every day. I think this is a very good advice because it keeps you grounded to, you know, who you are, while in the same time, you just enjoy the little things. Okay. Uh, what is something you want to learn? It's actually a difficult question. Um, I want to learn so many things that it's really hard to, to, to say, but I would say I would like to, to learn to improve um, in... Um, you know, I'm a cooker, so I love cooking very much. So, uh, so probably to improve um, my bakery skills, you know, like that's that's something I would like to learn next. <laughs> OK, I am looking forward to trying your baking sometime when we You're meet. more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favorite city, Nadia? Actually, I like Zurich a lot. Um, it's a very good mix between nature and and city um so yeah i think i like zurich a lot yeah. wow and and finally what do you do in your free time so um so actually i enjoy nature a lot uh hiking um uh biking um but as well i love dancing what kind of dance are you into so i used to do ballet for 15 years um wow. that was my dream you know when i was younger uh but was not possible so at some point i had to stop but i actually reduced this energy to learn uh, new uh, dancing skills so i dance tango for instance wow amazing uh, have you watched that french movie ballerina yeah of course it's my <laughs> daughter's favorite movie so oh, <laughs> 
this is our collection, actually, other than your book. <laughs> and and cooking, I I love to cook as well. Ah, so nice. maybe we can uh, do that sometime. Uh, Nadia, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Truly uh, humble to have you on the show, and I really look forward to seeing some of your visions at Swiss Sport come to life, especially that fifty-five percent electric vehicles going around. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sustainability in the Air. Aviation is one of the hardest to decarbonize industries, yet there are multiple paths to get to net zero. Awareness is key to a green future. So please give us your support to help our sustainable aviation insights reach a wider audience. You can do this by sharing this episode on your network on LinkedIn, Twitter, or even WhatsApp. Or perhaps you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this episode. You can start a conversation with us by writing to us at podcast at simplifying that's simply with an i dot com. And for more content on sustainable aviation, please visit our website green dot simplifying dot com and join the movement. Sustainability in the air is an original podcast by Simplifying. The show is produced by Uri Toth in Slovakia. Dirk Singer is our director of sustainability, who leads research for each interviewee out of Greenwich, UK. Shubhadeep Pal is our supervising editor, based out of Mumbai and Singapore. The articles are written by Ayushi Badola in Dehradun in India and Mira Hull in Montreal, Quebec. Creative design is led by Lihia Esteve in Montreal. Baiba Dreamen is the project director for the show based out of Valencia, Spain. Special thanks to Wendy Sim in Singapore, and I'm Shashank Nigam, the CEO of Simplifying, and your host. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn.